Legacy Legal Live, hosted by Kendra O'Toole, Michelle Reed, and Elizabeth Caruso of Legacy Legal Planning, is a show about discussing your estate plans, options, and answering your questions. Call in at 781-834-9639 and start your lifelong partnership covered by benefits that you've earned through proper legacy planning. Now here's your hosts, Kendra, Michelle, and Elizabeth. Good evening. Thank you for joining us tonight on Legacy Legal Live on WMEX Boston. I am Kendra O'Toole. Have with me tonight Michelle Reed and Elizabeth Caruso. And November is Alzheimer's Awareness Month. So tonight we're just going to talk about some tips and tricks if you have loved ones that may have Alzheimer's or just to prepare you for if this could happen in your life for you or your loved ones. And so this evening, I'm going to kick it off to Liz to talk a little bit about just some of the signs that could be out there if one of your loved ones might have Alzheimer's or could have some early signs and detection to maybe just have an idea and get ahead of this. Good evening, everyone. Uh, This is coming from the National Institute of Aging. So... um a government source that has done some research on Alzheimer's. And obviously these are not across the board, um, you know, telltale signs, but things to start thinking of and looking for um, when loved ones around you start um, having their memory and their judgment deteriorate. Um, These usually come gradually. They're not, they're not going to happen altogether. You might see one for one issue for a couple months and then another issue. So um, memory loss is an obvious one. That's the one that a lot of people think of. Um, Poor judgment. And this is um, making decisions that, you know, years ago they may not have made, that they would have thought through. They would have, um, they would have, uh, you know, been a little bit more cognizant of consequences um, with regard to their actions. Um, Losing track of dates. um, So forgetting birthdays, anniversaries, things like that. Um, Not knowing your current location. So not knowing your address, not knowing where you live. If they're going out to the store, forgetting how to get back home, things like that. Um, Daily tasks taking longer than usual. Um, Repetitive questions and forgetting things that they had recently learned. So short-term memory issues, Um, issues with money and playing bills. Um, As the Alzheimer's um, progresses, you often see paranoia with regard to money and um, bill paying and things like that. Losing things that they wouldn't typically otherwise lose, like losing your glasses, losing your car keys, things like that. Now, I know that all of us now have Alzheimer's because we all do things like that. But remember that these are in conjunction of a lot of other issues. Um, Mood swings are a big issue with Alzheimer's and um, dementia patients. Uh, because they, you know, they're kind of trapped in their brain. They're trying to express things to you and 
you're not understanding because either they're not making sense or they're not remembering things that they were supposed to remember. And the level of frustration just keeps going up and up and up and up. So that can also lead to increased anxiety and aggression. So like I said, these are just, you know, tidbits. They're not the end all be all list. It doesn't mean that if you have a couple of these that you have Alzheimer's, I probably did a couple of these today myself. So, um, but these are things to look out for, um, in your loved ones when you're trying to help them out. Wonderful. So where we've kind of given you that baseline of things to look out for and be aware of, we're going to focus a little bit today on estate planning checklists and some things that you can put in place or be sure that you have ready in place for if this is ever to occur to you, or if maybe you're taking care of an aging parent, and you want to be sure that you're able to step in to take care of them. And so some of the key components of the list are going to be documents that come into play during life and after. So Michelle, if you could just go into that a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. So we have, you know, a plethora of checklists for everyone in every sort of stage of life. But some of the main things that we talk about um, are making sure, one, that you are kind of locating any estate planning documents that you may have done, um, no matter how old. We talked about this in previous shows, but knowing where your documents are, um, that's that's pretty significant to have on, on this list. So this is sort of um, an info gathering type of checklist, just to give you, again, a baseline of things that you may have or may need to obtain, uh, depending on where you are in this journey. Um, so if you've executed wills and trusts, making sure that you, you if, whether you are in um, you know, the the person who's created them, or if you're a caregiver for a loved one who's created them, making sure that it's it's a, a family dynamic as much as possible, but locating those uh, important estate planning documents. So wills, trusts, your healthcare documents, so healthcare proxies, HIPAA authorizations, and living wills, your powers of attorney, things um, things that sort of house in, into your estate plan that would allow someone to step in for you, or if you are the one named to step in, you need to make sure that you have copies of these documents. Also, um, if you you or your loved one have discussed sort of um, your wishes in terms of do you want to remain home, um, what at what point are you comfortable with long-term care and things of that nature. So if you've created any sort of uh, memos or wishes for these types of instances in your lives, you want to make sure that folks are able to access them for you. Um, and if you have uh, any sort of wishes as it relates to who you want involved outside of these estate planning documents, you want to make sure that that's, that's considered as well. And I want to jump in right now and say um, the beginning of this process is a good time and it might be your only time to make changes to any documents if, these, if changes are needed. So once you find the documents and you go through them with your loved one, if they want to make changes sooner rather than later is definitely the answer because if they are suffering from Alzheimer's or dementia, eventually they're going to have a cognitive inability to execute um, legal documents. At some point they will not understand what they are signing to a point where they cannot legally sign documents. So if a change needs to be made, it should be made really as quickly as possible. Um, with regard to, you know, 
what they want to do moving forward so that those changes are um, documented and that their wishes are honored. Yeah. And that begs the importance too, because sometimes we have clients um, or loved ones who will take that swiftness recommendation very close to heart and say, well, can we just download something quick? Can, can we just write it down and get it notarized by our neighbor? Does, does that work? And we broach this topic quite often. But in this case, of course, to Liz's point, there is a level of urgency um, to make sure that we are updating these documents as early on as possible. But to stress that they're updated properly. Um, attorneys can do it as swiftly as we possibly can, given everyone's schedules. But you want to make sure that the documents have in them what needs to be in them in order for your loved one to act on your behalf. Um, so reviewing something as simple as your power of attorney, that document can make or break certain situations. Um, if if you should uh, be, have a diagnosis or if you are the caregiver for someone with a diagnosis, making sure that there are certain powers in there that you are providing in, in someone else to step in for you is important. And some of these uh, do it yourself or sort of very basic rushed forms of these documents can um, sometimes cause more issues than not. So as you mentioned, Michelle, you know, those estate planning documents and kind of your checklist you just gave in regard to healthcare proxy, power of attorney, wills, trust, those are all crucial to get started and be sure that people are able to step in for the loved ones. But there are so many other types of estate planning checklists that aren't quite what we always think of in regards to the wills and some that I've seen and I really want to, I'm going to point into one specifically, but some of them are checklists for some blended families. You know, there's lots of dynamics that can come up there. A checklist for caregivers, for pet owners, pet or, pets are family. So. Oh know, yeah. Wanna... <laughs> I mean, it's, <laughs> When you're speaking of all the things that could happen in these situations, it's, you know, it's very emotionally charged and we're worried about, you know, getting the, the paperwork and the finances. But sometimes, you know, our furry friends, um, you know, they're, they're not top of mind in that regard. So you, you want to make sure that when, when crisis hits, we don't also have to worry about what's going to happen to our, our furry loved ones. Right. And so having those checklists for the pets, for business owners, for blended families, and as I mentioned, the caregiver is really one that we come into play often with our clients because many times we do have a client come in that's taking care of mom or dad or a sibling and they are that caregiver. And so some of the things I really like to speak with these clients to help them that it might not be at a point of mom or dad need this, but they know this is coming down the line. What are things I should be doing? to help make it a little bit easier and having a bit of a checklist for caregivers with the medications that mom or dad or, you know, loved one is taking, having a checklist of where all those documents are kept so that they know where it is. Having on this checklist, a list of, you know, any allergies or even food preferences, because as a caregiver, you a lot of times end up delegating some stuff you have to because there's so much on your plate. So having these things in place as a caregiver ensures that your your loved ones are, you know, really taken care of. Yeah. Um, caregiving checklists are awesome because these are times when, you know, you're typically overwhelmed. A lot of caregivers are 
sandwich generation people, uh, you know, they're taking care of their parents and their own kids, um, whether they're littles, teenagers in college, whatever, um, kids still need help from their parents. Uh, and then at some point that dynamic switches and kids need to help their parents. And there's a lot of these family members who are stuck in the middle. So these types of checklists can help reduce that anxiety uh, and, you know, help them make sense of what needs to be done to move forward. Um, I do want to take this tiny opportunity to kind of give a plug to something I feel very strongly about, which is as a caregiver, you have to care for yourself um, and make sure that, you know, you understand your own needs, because if you don't care for yourself, how can you care for other people? Um, if you're burnt out, if you are, um, you know, doing everything and feeling overwhelmed and have a lot, you know, high anxiety, high stress, all of that, then you're not helpful to anybody that you are trying to help. Um, so make sure that you take care of yourself. You delegate when you can, um, delegate to other family members, hire people as appropriately, hire professionals to do things that, um, that they can help with. Um, like if you need somebody to, you know, keep mom's house clean, hire a house cleaner to do that. If you're, you know, working full time or trying to get your kids off the bus in the morning, things like that, that you just don't have time to clean two houses. Um, if you, um, you know, want to make sure that, you know, your loved one's nutritional needs are met, see if they qualify for meals on wheels, or, um, you know, if there's dinners at the local uh, council on aging or things like that, that they can get social interaction as well. Um, social inter or continuing to have social interaction for people who are at the beginning of stages of Alzheimer's is one of the best ways to stave off the progression of the disease. Um, aside from obviously medication and things like that, but, you know, keeping people active, keeping their brains active, you know, having them continue to, you know, interact as normal as possible on a, as, and as is safe on a daily level keeps their brains active and slows that cognitive decline. And as you mentioned with delegation and having people come in, because you just can't handle it all on your plate. You, one of the things that can be helpful is bringing some of this stuff on in stride, you know, not just all at once, because I know with my grandparents, um, personally, it's hard to, you know, be open to somebody coming into your house to start cleaning or to come in and, and help with showers. If your you know, loved one needs help with somebody to help give them showers and get cleaned up and letting somebody that you don't know into your house can be a hard concept for them to understand. And so one thing that we found helped was we were there for the first couple of times for that initial meeting, for the first few cleanings, you know, for the first couple of showers to help transition and make them feel comfortable and get to know that person without them being alone in that first instance. So that's just one way that can really help to make that transition a little easier and take some off the plate for the caregiver. Yeah, Liz, what you were saying kind of brought to mind, um, not to 
drill down on just females, but, you know, it, it brings to mind sort of the dutiful daughter, uh, but also dutiful son. Uh, you know, it's usually one responsible sibling uh, who ends up being sort of the main caregiver. But to stress your point a little further, where it's, you know, bring in the help where you can. You might be the sort of designated go-to sibling, but <clears throat> enlist the, the rest of your family as, as much as possible. Even if it's, you know, you do the grocery run, I'll, you know, I'll do X, Y, Z. Um, Kendra, you and your family, and, and you've actually talked um, at some conferences about this concept. Um, it, it's, it's, it's something that a lot of folks don't think of, but um, if, if you're sort of the typical designated go-to, keeping that binder that, that you talked about. Um, so I would love for you to kind of reiterate sort of what, what your tips and tricks are for that. And it's, it's something that's relatively simple. Um, it doesn't have these checklists that we're talking about, you know, they don't have to be Excel spreadsheets, but if, if you're inclined, absolutely, you know, the more organized you can be, the better, but it doesn't have to be um, as overwhelming. So tell our listeners about, about your, your binder theory. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So for my grandparents, I did put together a binder of all their, you know, one section was medications and just medically what they had going on if they had appointments and we took any notes, we'd either have a separate notebook for those notes and then they'd go in the binder. Um, we also had all their bank statements would go into that binder. And to go back to what we spoke about last week in regard to mass health and being able to show, you know, they asked for that five years of records. And so we were keeping all receipts and tracking everything, you know, obviously not necessarily, oh, $2 at the convenience store. But when we had worked on, you know, if we had ramp put up or anything like that, that was a bigger expense. We did keep those receipts and we kept them in the binder so that when the time came that we really had to start preparing for long-term care, we weren't as overwhelmed because we already had it put together. And so just keeping those bank statements and those receipts together just make it a little bit easier to know. I don't know where that receipt was for the contractor that upgraded the kitchen for $40,000. You know, we threw that out or, oh, we thought it was just a small $2,000 job. We just paid cash. We didn't get a receipt. And so just knowing to get that documentation together and have it in one spot really did make it easier at the time of preparing the application and being sure that they got the care they needed. Yeah. And so even things, you know, and these are all things, thankfully, that you do what you do. So you had some you had <laughs> yes. some, some insider knowledge. But, you know, this is what we're trying to provi provide for those who are not really, you know, working in the field and seeing the types of things that families go through and the information that they have to, you know, sit on the phone for hours and hours to get because, you know, you need it for, for X, Y, Z. Um, so this this binder, again, doesn't have to be anything fancy, you know, hit up, hit up the Walmart, grab a binder or one of those expandable files. I know I have clients who love the expand, expanding file. They travel with it everywhere. But to the point of, you know, if, if you're the main point person, but you are enlisting help from maybe family members here or there, this binder can be a resource where it's, you know, it lives in a place wherever that might look like. Uh, and if someone who's sort of not the caregiver who stores everything also in their brain, they can access it separately if, if there's something that you just you can't do because maybe you have something going on in your life and you need another family to jump in pretty quickly. Some of the things that you mentioned, too, were um, 
in anticipation of potentially needing to apply for benefits in the future, a lot of that is asset-based, like we talked about, and they have questions about the finances in the bank. So excellent on the bank statements. And then some of the receipts, a lot of us are doing the grocery shopping, we're running, um, you know, and, and doing clothes shopping, getting toiletries, that stuff adds up. Sometimes, uh, you know, you're out and you throw it on your own personal credit card and you get reimbursed from the family member. So keeping, it's just a place to even just store receipts. Even if you're not uh, you're not typing it into a to to a you know QuickBooks scenario, you're just putting the receipt in the binder. You'll get to it at some point if you need it, right? <laughs> right, and I think that's one of the hardest things as a caregiver is you do end up just you know throwing items on your credit card, and as I mentioned, you know fifty dollars here or there or something being reimbursed for is fine, but we have found caregivers that might not reimburse themselves for a month. And then they're cutting a check to themselves for, let's say, $5,000 between everything all together. And now that looks like a transfer that mom made of $5,000 yesterday for what, you know, and so it's just having that, that proof and being able to show that this is what it was for. If you're going to be cutting those large sum checks, MassHealth will trigger that if they just see daughter's name, $5,000. They're going to question what was that for? Um, and so it, it's important that if you are just paying for things, reimburse yourself immediately, rather than having those lump sum large checks. But don't. <laughs> yeah, if you're going to do those large lump sum checks, then yes, I would say that those receipts need to be kept really. Some of the sort of unexpected financial things, we touched on it before, but having photocopies of driver's licenses and social security cards and things of that nature, we often find that there's an expired driver's license. So you need an updated form of identification. So if you're, if as a care, well, talking from a caregiver standpoint, but also, you know, for, for yourself, having a valid ID is important. Um, because there are some things, if someone's dealing with uh, Social Security for you or working with a lawyer, you know, things of that nature, even just needing, um, Kendra, we talked about this before, needing your yearly retirement um, statements notarized, and then you don't have a form of, of valid identification. So kind of keeping tabs on those sorts of things. Um, we don't. These are the things that we don't think about, and they pop up last minute, and they pop up at the worst possible time. Everything's, you could have all the ducks in a row, and then, oh, this needs to be notarized. Okay, come on in, or we'll come to you, and then the license isn't valid. There's no passport. There's no state ID. So then we're working with someone, you know, trying to get them, you know, we can't renew the license, the state ID and things of that nature. So these sorts of things that can add stress to, a, you know, an already difficult situation, making sure that we've got those updated items. That is, I think, one of a more common thing that I see and I would advise people to, even if mom stops driving or they're oh, no yeah. longer, you know, keep up with at least getting the Massachusetts ID. I would even just get a passport at that point. I know, or the passport card, because they last longer. Um, so that way you at least continue to have that identification. I mean, my grandmother didn't drive much, probably past her, I want to say 70s, maybe. So it's like you need to, so she just stopped having license, but you should be keeping up with the ID because you're right, you, you need it in so many circumstances. And we have had issues where Someone has that retirement paper every two years. They need to prove to the Massachusetts, you know, 
pension saying, yes, I'm still living. I should still be receiving my checks. But then they don't have identification for that notary. And then we also work with a lot of clients. And Liz, you can probably, you probably have a more extensive experience here, but um, who um, are entitled to or are receiving some type of veterans benefit. And there's sort of a whole subset of rules and regulations that loved ones have to deal with um, when when they are helping out um, uh, their their loved one who was a service member. And so things like, you know, discharge papers and DD-214, those things, you know, are, are very difficult to find. And for some of these services or even, you know, other related things, they want copies of these items. So if it's um, if you can kind of commence the search and add that to your checklist while you know, during the calm before the storm, it makes it a lot easier. You can say, you know, hey, where would this be? How do we obtain a copy of this? Or let's let's spend a, you know, a, a Sunday morning, you know, going through some of the old paperwork just to see if we can find some of these things. So just adding these items to your checklist and then making the time, you know, in in, in pockets of time when you can, when you're with your loved one, to just locate them, know where they are. And if you can make a copy of them and throw them in that binder, it it does make the difference because these are the things that can cause cause hangups. And those papers and everything too can really come into play if, you know, once someone does pass away, depending on the type of service they want, celebration of life, there are a lot of honors out there for our veterans that have served this country. And so it's ways to honor them for the life that they had and can ensure that they are having the celebration of life that they, that they would like. Yeah. And um, just popped into my mind, but I think, you know, again, add it to the, add it to your ongoing checklist. <laughs> These checklists will be revised over and over again. And, and as things come up, you add to them. But um, for some of these benefits, um, a, a typical traditional durable power of attorney that you might execute with your lawyer isn't necessarily enough in order to, to be in contact, receive information from and speak on behalf of your loved one for, for these types of benefits. So um, the VA will want you, they have their own process for having someone be your, your quote unquote power of attorney with them. So adding that to the list too, if, if you know that you are going to be that designated person for your loved one, getting the process rolling again, while, while everyone, um, you know, is, is still healthy and has capacity Again, another thing to add to the to-do list. You know, we're, we're just going to make it very lengthy today, but these are things that you you should tackle over time. And then uh, on a lighter note, we could talk about the, uh, you know, we've got the checklist for sort of, um, we talked about caregivers naturally, but as Liz mentioned earlier, we, we talked about our, our furry friends. <laughs> so some of the things we don't think of is um, going back to updating your estate planning documents. It was, it's always been a thing, you know, quote unquote, but it was never really uh, commonly thought of to indicate who would receive our pets if something were to happen to us, who would be authorized to care for our pets if something should happen to us. And then are there any finances going to or for the benefit of of our loved uh for little loved ones and and liz had mentioned this in a previous episode so definitely check us out i think they're all up uh, on the website now so feel free to go back but um you can leave money you know to a caregiver for your pets but if someone's coming in and kind of doing the daily 
um, care for your pets, thinking about, you know, what type of food, where you buy the food, um, if there's any special dietary restrictions for your pet. Some folks might listen to this and say this is silly, but it's really, really, truly important because, um, you know, companionship comes in all kinds. And um, I, speaking personally, I'm a big animal person. So knowing, you know, that that does provide um, a level of comfort. So making sure that, you know, if if we have issues going on, we want to make sure that our, our pets are healthy as well. So who watches the dogs and cats? Who walks them? When do they get fed? Where their veterinarian is? All of that stuff. Legacy Legal Live tonight on WMEX Boston. You are here with Kendra O'Toole, Michelle Reed, and Elizabeth Caruso from Legacy Legal Planning. And for the last half hour, we had talked about how it is Alzheimer's Awareness Month, and we talked about some checklists to help you prepare or to take care of a loved one with Alzheimer's. And so we're going to jump right into talking about digital assets. We all have, you know, Facebook, email, online bank accounts, online credit cards. Um, I mean, Facebook initially was made for just college students when it was first started, but now it's out don't there for everybody. Us, okay, don't tell anybody hey, that. <laughs> I had an OG Facebook account when you had to have a .edu email. I had one of those. Me too. That's that's when it all started. And I'm so, not, I'm not saying anything. <laughs> <laughs> and so, these are things that often get overlooked, and loved ones are, you know, trying to access when something happens. And so we just want to bring up a couple tips and tricks that are at least provided for through um, some of the digital assets we use today. Yeah. So we're all, a lot of us as Kinder Mentor, we're on the social stuff, you know, to, to see our friends, family, kids, grandkids, you know, to snoop on the neighbors, you name it, we're all on there, right? <laughs> Whether we're commenting or lurking. Um, but what a lot of folks don't know, <laughs> listen, I'm a lurker, so I can say that. <laughs> um, what a lot of folks don't know is you can... Um, designate someone that if something should happen to you um as your what we call your legacy contact you know how dare they call it legacy con no. <laughs> um so you can designate an individual who can access these types of accounts for you and whether um your your wishes would be to close it down leave it open they would have uh, the ability to sort of take over the account from an administrative perspective so um go on to your facebook settings um and they change it all the time so it might might uh, warrant a quick Google as to how to do it, but you can nominate someone who's also on Facebook if if that's your your social media platform, and likely the other platforms as well, who would be de um, legally designated for that. And then also, if you have an iPhone, um, you can designate a legacy contact as well. They actually get a message that they've been designated uh, in, in that regard. So it's it's a nice handy tool. Um, in in a Folks, I mean, we live on these these phones nowadays, right? <laughs> I'm hoping that Android has something for that as well, but we're all iPhone users here. I mean, not to knock any, you know, we, we we love all the communication forms, but you know, we'll no, we judge the green the green text message. <laughs> At least I do. <laughs> um, so also to that end, um, setting up online bill pay can help with a lot of these um, issues as well. Um, so going through with loved ones while they are still, you know, cognitively available and setting up online bill pay for their um, monthly bills, at least that are the consistent ones to make sure that if something were to happen, um, that bills are, 
that need to be paid are still going to be paid. Like if there's a health insurance premium or um, electricity bill, et cetera, things like that. Um, another um, back to the passwords, a lot of um, password managers, like, so there's apps out there that are password managers. So you put in all of your passwords and you have like one master password for all of your passwords. Um, you can then create a designated person who has access to that if something were to happen to you, much like a legacy contact or something like that. So, um, you know, if you're the type of person who can't keep your passwords straight and every time you need to log in and nope. gotcha. <laughs> yeah, oh no, this is coming from like, this is something that I need in my life. So every time you re-log into your bank account, it doesn't recognize your face or you get a new phone and it doesn't recognize your face. You're like, oh, I don't know my bank password because I didn't have to remember it. Or, you know, it has to be so secure now in 27 different letters and numbers and things like that. You know, you can have a password manager that, um, you know, keeps track of all your passwords and then, you know, you can nominate somebody else. And apparently this was not an Alzheimer's PSA. This was a <laughs> an everyone PSA. <laughs> I mean, but to that point, a lot of this stuff really is, you know, it, it applies across the board, right? But these are just things that you know, everyone really should be thinking about. But these are the things you don't want to have to think about and, and turn to when there's also, you know, potential crisis, um, you know, on the horizon. So it's it's great advice for anybody across the board, but really relevant when, um, you know, we're dealing with a whole slew of other things on top of trying to decide who has access to things and we, we can't get access to them. <clears throat> So talking about, you know, taking some of these actions early and these applying to everybody, one thing to start early if you are dealing with the loved ones and, and helping them through this, it, having Alzheimer's is to maybe hire a geriatric care manager to come in and give the family some tips on some can just be general home assessment of is the home safe for your loved one. They might give suggestions of how to make it safer. For instance, if your loved one uses a walker to get around, then any, you know, area rugs are best to be taken up and put away um, so that they don't get caught and trip over. And they will do full, very detailed assessments of the safety of the home. But then they also will help with future planning of kind of laying out where they see the path could go and what options in regard to assisted living, memory care, you know, getting the care that's needed, even maybe at home, whatever that route might be, they will lay out a plan to, to help with that. And this is a plug for a, a previous show with our friends at Two Sisters uh, Senior Living. Um, reach out to them early and, you know, start looking at um, facilities early on, like even well before you think your family member might need some type of assisted living or memory care. If you look at the facilities, you have an idea of what's out there, you've toured them, and you're not making a decision about their, um, their housing in a crisis mode. You know, you're going into it with all of the information that you can possibly have. So if you have, you know, a day where you're not doing anything, which I, you know, in my life, I'm like, oh my God, what is that? And I know a lot of people share that sentiment, but you know, even just a couple hours, if you, you know, find an assisted living that looks 
like it meets your loved one's needs, schedule a time to go and meet with them and tour the facility. You're going to get an immediate vibe as to whether or not it, your family member will fit in there or not. Um, and, and it, if they, you do think they fit in there, it may not be the perfect fit. There might be other things that you end up finding out, but you know, at least you've taken the tour and, you know, you have information about, you know, the finances and, you know, the facility and the offerings and all of that. Yeah. So I'm going to switch gears a little bit, but I think it's important, especially since we talk about legacy so much. Um, we have a lot of clients and many of you listeners out there, um, you may be a business owner. You and, and if we have um, family owned businesses, some of these things to be thinking about and keep on the horizon um, will be particularly important. So especially um, if, if, if there's family members involved and they might potentially be the intended uh, heirs for, for taking over the family business. So just like estate planning, there's certain documents that you'd want to make sure that you have in place or have updated. There's, there's a subset of, of legal documents that business owners want to make sure uh, that they have um, or have updated or get in place if, if there's nothing. Um, so <clears throat> making sure that your succession plan, whatever that looks like for you, um, is is very clearly drawn out because this is where, and I, I know both of you can attest to this, we see a lot of family argument about what goes on with the family business. So we see lots of family LLCs and we see, um, you know, sort of handshake family dynamics, which work, you know, they, they work until they don't work, right? So uh, if you don't have a succession plan in place, and that can be done through your personal estate planning, but also businesses have their own plan. So things like operating agreements, um, and what would happen if, you know, someone in the business passes away, and, and who who's going to inherit those shares. So making sure that those items are reviewed, just like your estate plan, um, are updated, or create it because what we see, I think, mostly is families don't have them. Um, business owners don't have those those items. So when, when that happens, um, then there's lots of questions and you run into probate issues and things of that nature. So adding, if you're a business owner, this is a another checklist for you to, to consider. Um, how many checklists are we at now? Like 37? Or- <laughs> well, and I actually, I want to caution um, listeners that, you know, it may sound like that this is to prevent fights um, in, you know, in family businesses and things like that, it's not just to prevent fights. If there's only one person who has the authority to sign everybody's paycheck and that person dies next payroll, nobody's getting paid until somebody has the authority to do that. And, you know, that might've been a very simple fix while the person in charge was still alive. And you could have done it through operating agreements or adding people to, you know, authority lists and signatory lists and things like that. But if you don't do it proactively, you're running into the probate court on an emergency motion, hoping that you're going to get authority for this person's estate to be able to keep their business running. And I know that, you know, statistically, the majority of us work for small businesses in the world. And, um, you know, you don't want there to be a stop in your business because you passed away. Liz, great points on the business and one of the having your business on your list of assets as your inventory for your loved ones to know what you have if something were to happen to you. But one of the biggest things that we often talk about, I know we've talked about on past shows as well, 
is your tangible personal property and doing an inventory of that tangible personal property in your home, especially, you know, jewelry, family heirlooms or antiques and things that you know are more sentimental. That really is what causes a lot of the issues, not even the value of it. A lot of people think that money is what creates a lot of these family issues, but we see a lot of times it's also that sentimental, emotional issue. And having a general inventory of the personal property you have and then directing what you want to happen with that personal property properly. And also sometimes even just having a memo of why you're making these decisions the way you're making them can help eliminate some of these you know, fights and rifts that could occur between your family members. Yeah. And this is at a time where, um, you know, it's going to come into play that this is usually after death, but these things need to be put in writing while the the loved one still has the cognitive ability to do it um, and can also do it independently of, you know, potential undue influence from other family members. Um, so, you know, they can sit down and go through and say, you know, I want X, Y, Z to get this piece of jewelry. I want this person to get this piece of art. And, uh, you know, like Kendra was saying, there's likely things that are of no monetary value, but they are of high sentimental value. And that's exactly the kind of fight that ends up in a probate court. And some of these sentimental, tangible personal property items might also be things that you want at your funeral or to be a part of your burial. For instance, sometimes people have certain jewelry, wedding ring, engagement ring. They might have medals from times that they serve. They might be part of organizations that have membership pins or, um, you know, just some type of personal property that they want there at their celebration or memorial service. And so making that known and really letting your loved ones know what you want for a funeral, for burial. Some want a celebration of life, some don't. Some people want cremation, some want burial. You know, making your wishes known so that your loved ones aren't wondering what they're doing, what you would have done, maybe spending more money than you would have wanted spent if you didn't want a wake or a funeral and they do the full, you know, two days, wake, funeral, mass, that's not cheap. And if your intention is, I don't want any of that, then make this known to your loved ones for them to be able to follow your wishes. Yeah, uh, there's certainly something to be said about planning this ahead of time, because again, while the person still has the cognitive ability to plan it, it sounds morbid, but in the end, you're going to end up with what you want if you tell people what you want. Um, And there's, you know, there's two certainties in life, death and taxes. So, you know, we're all going to die at some point. You might as well make it clear that you want certain things for your end of life celebration. You want, you want it at a certain restaurant. You want to work with a certain family as far as a, um, a funeral service, you know, you do, or you do not want um, church services and things like that. So, I mean, it's, it's good to make these things clear because the clearer they are, the less fights there are at a time in, of crisis. Yeah, and that inserts the plug to work with a knowledgeable attorney because we have resources. We have curated memos that, you know, it's hard to sit down and just, you know, blank sheet of paper sometimes and, and think about these things. So 
a lot of uh, attorneys and firms have crafted sort of their own version of these memos that can be a guide or you can follow them verbatim. But we, we provide these, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's there's plenty of other resources out there to uh, for those things. But it's it's it, it is helpful. We find out clients love them. And really planning the funeral and pre-planning what's going to occur is something that's also an allowable expense for Medicaid Mass Health that we talked about last week, how to, you know, qualify, how to plan and and apply for it. But this is an allowable expense that if mom or dad are going to a nursing home and have minimal funds and could qualify for Mass Health, but maybe they're a, a little over with some of their funds, you could prepay for their funeral irrevocably with that funeral home, but it is a complete allowable payment. And so then the family's not having to scoop up that bill later. And I think this is something that freaks people out um, paying for their funeral ahead of time, because, um, you know, I, I feel like maybe 40, 50 years ago, funeral homes were less regulated and they, you know, they took your money ahead of time and then they ran off to wherever they people run off to with money. I feel like Costa Rica is a big place that people try to run off to. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, people are wary of paying for things ahead of time. Uh, now, actually, in Massachusetts, this is all regulated by the state. And when you prepay a funeral, it goes into the Massachusetts Funeral Trust. And your money is guaranteed whether that funeral home is still in business when you pass away or not. Um, so if that funeral home happens to go out of business, then your money is going to be honored at another funeral home, you know, dollar for dollar, whatever you put in, uh, because they are backed by that funeral insurance trust. And so with that and talking about, unfortunately, some things that we really don't want to talk about and bring up in regard to that funeral, but I'm going to shift back a little bit to while living and some more of the resources that are out there for people to be able to just gain some more knowledge, maybe reach out to them to learn about the services and implement certain services. Um, one, you know, thing that every town pretty much has is a council of aging. And we have found that they are very knowledgeable. They are the place to go to to ask about certain services for your loved ones. Um, Liz, I know, has spoken at Council of Aging on estate planning, on planning for incapacity. And so it's a place to be able to go find out how to get the services, but also learn about the different services and things to be prepared. Yeah. And I know that I'm not the only speaker that they have. So they have, you know, they bring in, <laughs> they bring in like people who have, um, you know, financial planners and they bring in CPAs and things like that to talk about all sorts of, you know, helpful things as well as learning things. Like they bring in people who are photographers and show off their photography and talk about their world travels. And they bring in writers who talk about their books and they might have book clubs or, quilting clubs or things like that, that can keep people active. And, you know, that's one of the biggest things at this time is to make sure that you're still engaging or, or your loved one is still engaging with the community as much as they can to keep some normalcy. 
and even aside from the social community aspects of it too, a lot of them also have some physical exercise, you know, stretching or chair yoga or Qigong to that you could also have your loved ones if they are physically able to help keep their physical ability continuing further rather than having it possibly deteriorate a bit more if they do not engage in some of that stretching and exercise that could just help make things a little bit easier in the long run. Free lawyers here. So we are all about education. (laughs) And if it's free, sign up. (laughs) But it is, you know, and there's, I feel as though, you know, all all the speakers that we've seen and, you know, where our office is, our our council on aging is, you know, in, in incredible with with what, what they have uh, going on and and they get some funding here and there for certain things so they're they're constantly put there's there's things being pushed out that you know I would love to attend um but taking advantage of you know the free nature of these resources you consistently learn something maybe maybe to add to the lengthy checklist that we've given you this this evening and one of the things that often go hand in hand with the council on aging is, They many times have somebody working from Shine, which will review, they help a lot of people on Medicare review the insurance that they're in, that they selected. They help if there is maybe a supplemental insurance that can help, because I know that that can be a difficult thing as people get on fixed incomes and then have more health issues and are aging their prescriptions and their medical care can become so expensive and exorbitant that the shine employee that reviews everything will be able to tell you if you are, you know, good where you're at, or if there's different avenues, different health insurances that you can maybe get to help supplement that might be cheaper than what you're paying out of pocket for prescriptions or any type of care that you're receiving. And Michelle had touched on this earlier. Um, Every town has a veterans agent who can um, help review um, if your loved one or you were in in the services and can review your service record and see what what is available to you as a veteran. There might be um, Veterans Aid and Attendance, which is a program that pays for um, in-home care and can also supplement some um, uh, some assisted living costs and things like that. So based on income and assets, but the veterans agents are there and a free resource for you to find out, you know, what is available to you because you served our country. That's also a place that I've had many families go to once their loved one has passed away to talk about, you know, um, I know like my grandfather had um, a plaque put down at his burial site, you know, that had his service and whatnot on it. And those are all things that they can provide you the information for and how to get for your loved ones to, again, honor the time that they served in protecting our country. Um, And with the Council on Aging, one couple other organizations that kind of go hand in hand and the ones in our area of the South Shore, where our office is in Norwell, is Social Elder Services or um, Old Colony Elder Services. And these are the companies that you are usually applying based on income and asset. They have different programs, but generally 
Um, they look at your income and assets and you can get help as Liz had mentioned, the Meals on Wheels. That's one of the programs to be able to get meals delivered to the home for your loved ones. Another service that my grandparents also were able to get was a homemaker for a couple days a week. She came and did, you know, general mopping. They She did the cleaning of the bathroom, stripping the bed, making the bed, and then also, um, you know, showering and helping them with, the, you know, hygiene when it's hard for them to get in and out of the tub or clean themselves. That allowed, that program allowed for that homemaker to come a couple times a week to help out with those. Because I think sometimes when we talked earlier about hiring a cleaner or someone to help, people also have a concern of we don't have the money for that. And so that's where you can turn to South Shore Elder Services or Old Colony Elder Services to find out how your loved one can qualify for some of these services. Another one that my grandparents also were able to have was a laundry service. The company came and picked up their laundry, you know, I think on Mondays, and it was delivered back on Tuesday, all clean, folded, and ready for us to just put away for them. And so these are all services that can make life a little bit easier, take some of the the duties off of the caregiver and allow somebody else to kind of step in and help out. And these are provided for, again, there's an application process and whatnot, but reach out. It's worth that process to be able to get that help. A lot of um, the Council on Aging also have transportation services. So they'll do, you know, free transportation to doctor's appointments, um, to the grocery store, to CVS or whatever. So if you're, you know, you have a loved one that has gone past the point of being able to drive themselves, um, which we could probably do a whole nother show on, you know, elderly driving safety and, you know, no, how to, um, how to take the keys away and things like that, because that can be a, a, a huge bone of contention because you're taking away someone's freedom. But at the same time, if, you know, they have Alzheimer's and starting to show the early signs of that and, you know, they could potentially put themselves in an unsafe situation behind the wheel of a car. And you, um, you obviously don't want that. So um, I actually attended a talk um, with a police officer at one point who was talking about this. So maybe that's a future show. <laughs> and another, can, sorry, again, I'm going to cut you off super quick, but <laughs> um, another thing that, you know, a lot of these are, you know, wonderful, incredible services with dedicated professionals to kind of help you navigate certain things. But a lot of it is, you know, financial and very sort of um, particular items some of the things for a resource, you know, that we don't often talk about, but it's becoming more and more prevalent. And I like that the conversation is opening is more about our, you know, emotional, mental well-being, physical health, a little bit of alternative medicine, alternative care, alternative types of things, not to get too woo-woo, but I uh, recently um, had the ability to listen to uh, co-founders of Ember Holistic Care, um, Katie and Sherry, they're co-founders, and they work with folks with, um, capacity and dementia issues and things of that nature. So 
be there a resource for yourself or for a loved one if you're if you're caring for a loved one uh, with alternative things you know everything from um how to communicate a little bit better um they they, they have trainings and expertise in Alzheimer's and other dementia related conditions, uh, red light therapy, um, diet, how all of these things can affect your condition or your loved one's condition and how to, um, you know, help them in a way that's, you know, not invasive, might not quite be traditional medicine, but is helpful and nurturing. And they also run programs for caregivers too. As Liz mentioned early on in our show, taking care of yourself is it's, it's overlooked. We overwork ourselves. So uh, they're a great resource and, and, and maybe we'll try to drag them on as, as guests in the future, if we can get it. So Sherry and Katie, if you're listening, we're coming out. <laughs> and I think that is one of the hardest things, probably when you start to see these signs in a loved one, or if they are more advanced and, whether it's them repeating the same questions. I know my grandfather would say, how was your day? You know, we talk about it and then a few minutes would pass and then he'd say, how was your day? And it would click. I'd start talking and just answering the question again. And once in a while it would click and you go, nope, I already asked you that. But it is important to, you know, just go with the questions or if they, sometimes they might think someone's still living that maybe is not. And it's important to kind of just go with the reality that they're in at the time, because you trying to correct them and say that they're wrong or nope, that person's been, you know, deceased for 10 years, that's going to cause more frustration because they can't put that together and understand. So really just trying to go with the flow of that conversation with them and and kind of being in their reality for the time being when you're when you're having that communication with that loved one. Yeah, meet them where they're at. And, um, you know, with all the things you have on your plate, but you know, if you have the ability, there's, there's, there's resources, and there's programs, and there's trainings and things um, that are out there to sort of to kind of give you that type of advice and, and, and tools to kind of, you know, help you and, and help your loved ones. So I think that that's a great thing to kind of be mindful of Kendra. Um, with that, I'm going to, I'm going to let you do a shameless plug because Kendra is, is in, uh, she's got a little blurb. She, she does, she doesn't uh, advertise it too, too much, but um, we talk about resources. We talk about checklists. Um, and then the question is like, where do we house it all? So we talked about a binder. We talked about potentially, um, you know, just writing it all down or if you're a spreadsheet type of person. But uh, there are some local folks who put out some some uh, workbooks and things of that nature where you can house a lot of this information and kind of have it done for you. Uh, so we have a colleague uh, that Kendra was interviewed for. And so the, the title of her book is called Just In Case Solutions. Uh, Just In Case Solutions. Her name is Wendy Michelle. It's a great resource. It is comprehensive. But if you grab it, um, it's got, you know, A to Z, financial, loved ones, you name it. But uh, you might see Kendra's name uh, attributed to a nice little quote in that book. So shameless plug for you, Kendra, had to do it. <laughs> Thank you. That is a great book to kind of put some of these lists together where we talked about a binder and, you know, having the accounts and know what life insurance there was. This book is something that can help with that process and put everything together in one place. Um, so it is, and just like you mentioned, give some tips and tricks for people um, I believe one of the things mentioned in there that her and I had spoken about was, you know, a lot of times people might put their their will in a safe deposit box at the bank. That was kind of what people thought was the best thing to do. But unfortunately, many times you're the only owner on that box. And when you pass away, 
someone cannot access that box until they get court authority. And so these are just some general tips and tricks to keep in mind as we are in Alzheimer's Awareness Month and to help you either plan for yourself or a loved one that might be going through this. So thank you so much for joining us tonight on Legacy Legal Live. Please be sure to find us on Instagram and Facebook at Legacy Legal Planning. Contact us through our website, LegacyLegalPlanning.com, or you can find it on the WMEX Boston site. We also have a page on there. And if you're just tuning in for the first time, check out that site to listen to our older shows about some different topics on estate planning. So thank you so much for joining us this evening.